And we all, with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Spirit of God, we thank you for being our helper, to help us to understand what the Word of God says. So would you please help us this morning? Would you guide us? Would you pierce our hearts? And would we come into contact with this glory that Paul is speaking of here? We pray this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Who here has ever heard somebody say, I don't go to church because the church is just full of those hypocrites? I, I have, I've heard that before. I don't know about you. Maybe it's just the people that I hang around with. But that's, that's, that's kind of the word on the street is that I don't go to church because the church is full of those hypocrites. Now, here's the interesting thing is normally how the church responds to that is more like a Pharisee of kind of putting up the walls of saying, whoa, 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 wait a second. How dare you say that? But maybe if just enough people are saying that about the church, there's a hint of truth within there. How about that? Maybe let's just put back our uh, assumptions and pretensions and, and approach this as maybe there's a hint of truth to the hypocrisy that at times churches, and let's just even point out our church, has. Now why is this? I've got a, I've got a hunch and in, in a theory of why this is. And, and as you know, most of you know, we've been going through this series called The Gospel A Through Z. And so what we did is we looked at the beginning and, and we've been carrying it out. And for most of us, if we view the gospel um, or if we are thinking about the gospel, the gospel ends at last week's sermon. It ends at, okay, I'm saved, I'm good. And that's the gospel, that's it. But the series is still continuing, so that means that I've got more to say. If we just view the gospel as, I'm saved, that's it, then inevitably what happens is then we make sanctification, or looking more like Jesus, a, a choice. We say, well, I've got this relationship with Jesus, uh, but those are the more dedicated Christians that do that. And so here's what my theory is. My, my theory is, is that, okay, let's, let's take the hypocritical church, let's take, let's just say our church. I think for most of us, the gospel stops at justification and doesn't carry over to sanctification. Justification is the theological term that says, just as if I had never sinned before God. This is what happens when the Spirit comes into us. We are set apart just as if we had never sinned before a holy God. But for most of us, it stops there and we don't look at the sanctification part of it. That is, day by day, we are being renewed to look more like Jesus. So now then, we have a bunch of 
Christians who gather and say, I'm good, but I don't really need to love my neighbor. I'm good, but I really don't need to reflect Jesus in my actions or thoughts. I'm justified, but that sanctification thing is for the more serious Christians. Or what we tend to do is we think about sanctification as, I just got to be a better Christian. If I could just do better, then maybe I'll please my Heavenly Father. And so sanctification becomes more of an add-on or a choice or that's what the nerdy Christians do who want just a little bit of extra Christian or extra, uh, um, extra points with God. And they want extra credit. And you know what the saddest thing is? Is when we get to that, I just got to be a better Christian, what we end up doing as Christians is we just beat ourselves up. Don't we? I've got to do better. I've got to be better. Boy, I'm really disappointing God. So here's the, the this is what I want to communicate today. This is the, the passage's key point, or this is the main theme or idea of the message this morning is that when you experience God's glory like Paul is saying in this passage, you will experience gradual change. So we can't think of the gospel as just stopping at justification, but we have to carry it over to sanctification. That we've been renewed by the Spirit. And in a very mysterious and awesome way, the Spirit is continuing to renew us day by day, to reflect Christ. And for some of us, it'll be quick. And for some of us, it's going to be painstakingly slow. So when you experience God's glory, you will experience gradual change. So we're going to look at this in three acts this morning. Three acts and no intermission. You had your chance, okay? The first act we're going to see in this passage that we are transformed and that we are transforming. The second act is that how we then attempt to experience this transformation is that man morally or man attempts to morally just clean up his life. And then the third act is we'll see the Jesus effect. All right? So act 1 transformed and transforming. Act two, man's attempt at moral cleanup. Act three, the Jesus effect. So we come to our passage and we could see uh, uh, this being broken up in three ways. The first way, if we take a look, is that and we all with unveiled faces beholding the glory of the Lord. What's, what's Paul mean right here as he's writing to the Corinthian church? If we look at the context here, and we, we need to do that, is we see that right above, Paul is referencing how Moses had this veil on his face when he went before the Lord. You know what's amazing, uh, what Paul is saying here, is that as Moses, he walked up Sinai, he actually sat with God as a friend sits with a friend. That's incredible. 
So, I mean, think about it like this. Like you're meeting a friend at Lawless or, or you, you're saying, hey, I'll meet you at Pierce Park. Let's go for a walk or let's, let's sit at a park across from one another. This is what Moses was doing with God. Is he was meeting with God as a friend meets with a friend. And what was taking place is that as Moses was meeting with God, for whatever reason, his face started to glow. You know, it's not like he got a glow up or it's not like this pregnancy glow. It's like this Moses was before the glory of God. And so what was taking place was the glory was starting to rub off on Moses. And when Moses would walk down that mountain, people would see him and freak out. So he put a veil in front of his face. But Hebrews also tells us that it wasn't just so that way people wouldn't freak out. It was that Moses was actually getting embarrassed that this glory after a while would start to go away. And he didn't want the people to know that this glory was starting to fade. And so now Paul is saying, you have met with the Lord. You have seen this glory. It has come to you. Paul most likely was also thinking of Isaiah 25, 7, which is a prophetic fulfillment of the nations having the veil taken down so that way they were able to come and worship the Creator. What Paul here is speaking of is what takes place, the experience that takes place when you are born again. When, when the Spirit comes into you, this is what Paul is talking about, is that you are experiencing the glory of the Lord. You are coming face to face with this glory. It's just as the glory of the Lord would come into the temple Now, in the New Testament, because we are under the New Covenant, the glory of the Lord is literally filling you up. So here's the amazing reality about this, of what Paul is trying to communicate to this super broken church, is that God is closer to you than he was to Moses. Is that the Lord and his glory dwells in you at this moment. This is what's taking place. You have something more unique and special going on inside of you, being born again and having the Spirit dwell in you, than Moses could have ever experienced. God Himself dwells within you. This is what happens to those who are born again, and this is what He is explaining to this church. And we all, with unveiled faces, beholding or looking at the glory of the Lord. What what Paul is suggesting or telling us here is that beholding or looking is is that these Gentiles are now understanding what Jesus has come to do. They are understanding as they read or listen to uh, the law being explained, they can see Jesus so clearly in there. Look, like when I was in college and I wasn't yet a, a Christian, um, I played basketball, and, and I read the Bible, and, and the way that I read the Bible was so me-centered. It was all about me. I, I never looked for Jesus in it at all. Let me give you an example. Uh, I was struggling in basketball, and I just needed a confidence boost 
So I went to the Bible and I read Hebrews 10.35. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which, which has a great reward. And do you know how I looked at that? Okay, Max, if, if you just have confidence, if you just have confidence, you'll get in the game. You'll, you'll, you'll hit the game-winning shot. You'll, you'll be the stud athlete on the team. You will be the man. Just don't throw away your confidence. Just don't do it. And that's how I approached God's Word, is making it about me. But when the Spirit came in me, I was like, oh boy, that's not about me at all. Don't throw away your confidence in Christ, Max. What is your reward? Your, your reward is eternal life with Him. And then as I was reading the Old Testament, there was just this Christ connection after Christ connection after Christ connection. This is what is looking at the glory of the Lord. This is what this means. Is that when you come to Scripture then, your, your primary way of looking at it is not looking at it for yourself, but looking at it and seeing how it points to Christ. And so Paul is telling them that the nations, you Gentiles, this veil is now down and you can clearly see Jesus and who he is and what he has come to do. And then Paul goes on to say, but that's not where it ends. It starts there. Because he says, next, or being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. So now that you are justified, now that you have the Spirit of God in you, what God is doing is He is making you to look more like His Son, Jesus. Why does He do this? Because throughout our life as we sin, and we willingly sin, what we're doing is we're breaking ourselves. And the intended image that God created us in, what we're doing is like what a person might do to a beautiful masterpiece. beautiful sculpture they may take it and throw it on the ground and it's fractured into a thousand pieces when the spirit comes into you what god does is he takes those pieces and he starts to rebuild the image that it was this is what we call sanctification that day by day, you are looking more like Jesus. This is why we, we shouldn't say and we can't say that the Christian life is just about being a better Christian. It has nothing to do with being a better Christian. It has all the, the more uh, to do with looking more like Jesus. I'm going to get to that though. What, what's going on here is that day by day you look more like Jesus. Let me try illustrating it like this. When I was in middle school, uh, I wanted to be like my big brother. My big brother was though into this, uh, how do I say this? Alternative, well, no, you know, well, I'll just, uh, he was, he, he was a goth. That's what he was. 
I mean the dude dressed in black all the time. He, and I wanted, I wanted to be like him. And so gradually I got these black pants. And, and so I started trying to, I, I don't know if you guys remember this at all, because it was like, it was like a week. Because I found out real quick, it's hard to play sports in this stuff. I can't do it. So I got rid of it pretty quick. But this is what happens when we are in Christ is that slowly and surely and gradually we are changed. What does Paul say here too? Guys, this should encourage us. Look how pastorally encouraging Paul is here. If you know anything about this church, this church that Paul is writing to was a mess. Look, now, I don't know the state of all churches, but I do know that this church was in such a state and such a mess that, that God was actually judging them by the way they were taking communion, and some of these people were dying. I, I mean, look, I don't know of any church where God is so upset at it that he's judging it and people are dying. But this was this church. So think in context now that Paul is writing back to them and they've repented of their sin. They've turned to Christ. How sensitive their conscience may be. So Paul, now you're saying, now I just got to get my act together and look like Christ. I better become a better Christian or else I'm going to fail God. And yet, how does Paul... I, I didn't notice this until recently. Look, look here with me. How does Paul say that they're to be changed? Does he say you're to be changed a 180 degree? Is that what he says? He says one degree. Now, I don't know about you, but one degree is not a lot, is it? It almost sounds like what Paul is saying here is if you just have faith the size of a mustard seed, you'll be changed. I mean, this is good news for us. Do you know how good news this was for me to meditate on this week? One who's constantly looking five years down the road and saying, you've got to be better, Max. You've got to be further along. You've got to be a better Christian. And yet Paul here is saying it's one degree at a time. So here's, here's the reality of this. Your sanctification process may be gut-wrenching slow for you. You may be like, seriously, I gossiped again about that person? I was angry at my spouse again? I lashed out at my children again? I missed the opportunity to share the gospel? Paul here says that you're being changed one degree. Now, one degree over a year may not seem like a lot, but one degree each year for five years is quite a bit. Ten years is quite a bit. So some of you, you keep on going. Don't stop. And let me look at it from the other side. Some of you are still holding bitterness and resentment towards Christians who aren't changing fast enough for you. Stop it. Rejoice. Rejoice that God is continuing to change them and transform them in the image and likeness of Him. And we see why it couldn't possibly be just that Paul's calling us to be better Christians. Because he says, this isn't your work. 
Now, we do take steps and we do walk out our faith with fear and trembling. And it is up to us to say no to sin and put to death the deeds of the flesh. But we do it by the Spirit. See how Paul finishes this verse? He says, for this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Because you have the Spirit in you, the Spirit, as Paul says in, in, uh, uh, to the Ephesians, is, is that this is the down payment. You changing to look more like Jesus is the down payment of your salvation. This is why when the Spirit comes in you, it will always happen. Whether it's one degree each year or whether it's 20 degrees each year, you will experience change and transform, uh, transformation and, and renewal. Because the Lord is going to make it happen. The Spirit's going to make it happen. It's going to make it happen whether you like it or not. He's going to do it. So as we take steps of obedience, He's actually the one who's working this out for us. Why? Because He finishes what He started. He will finish what He started in you. The good work that He starts in His creation, in His children, He will bring it to full completion. But this isn't our natural response as human beings, is it? We don't respond this way. We don't naturally just believe in this. So quickly we say we have to muster up this moral strength because we need to morally clean up our lives. This is what we hear those who aren't believers or aren't Christians say. And it's so that that idea and belief so quickly trickles into then the Christian. Right? I mean, how many of us have heard from somebody and have said, no, I don't, I don't believe in the church or organized religion. What I believe in is just cleaning up my life or, or being a, they don't say clean up their life, but being a better person and leaving this place a better place than when I started. Maybe, once, maybe it's just the weird people that I hang around with or maybe it's the people who hang out with this weirdo. I don't know. But that's, that's what I hear. I just, I'm just out trying to leave this place a better place than when, it, when, when I came. I mean, uh, what we could, I mean, that's like a raindrop falling into an ocean. Your good works, according to God's word, says that they're like filthy rags before him. And why is this? Because when we come at life saying, I just am going to try to be a better person so I can leave this place better, it's not a selfless act like we believe it is. It's actually a selfish act. What we're saying is, I just want people to view me as a really nice person so that way they like me more. It's our own selfish hearts trying to gratify our flesh so that way we can puff up our own self-righteousness so that when people look at us, they can say, wow, that's an impressive person. And yet the scriptures say that our good works before the Lord are like filthy rags. The reason why it says this is because really the person who does their good works for their own selfish interests are just saying, I want to be God. 
That's really what I want to be like. That's how I want people to view me, is I want people to view me like God. I want them to look at me and say, look at how impressive I am. Look at what that person's done in their life. May I be so bold as just to say that will not get you into the kingdom of heaven. And may I be so bold to say this, that when then the person who does not trust in Christ and they do go to hell, they will stand there and look up to the heavens and they will shout out for a thousand years to the Lord. But Lord, I did this for you. But I did all of these good things for your planet. And then after a thousand years thinking of it more and more, they will continue to shout out and come up with a list of all of the good things that they have done so that way they can enter into God's eternal kingdom. And he will still say, those are like filthy rags. You have not done anything for my kingdom. And as then a thousand more years pass by and you think of all of the ways that you have done good while you were living and you continue to shout it up to the Lord and say, but Lord, I did this good thing and that good thing, he will still say to you, that is not enough. You should have looked to my son, Jesus. Your good works will not be enough for you. You cannot pay a holy God back with your sinful and tainted good works. And this is how then this trickles into the Christian's belief. Is we think to ourselves, if I can just be a better Christian for my heavenly father, then he'll accept me more. Then he'll be pleased with me more. And what we do is we then misunderstand the role of sanctification. Because like I said earlier, sanctification isn't for you just to be a, a better Christian. Sanctification is for you to look more like Jesus. And so then what we end up doing is we treat sanctification as justification. We start looking at our sanctification as good works to earn favor with our Heavenly Father. And we say, Jesus' death and resurrection wasn't enough for us. We say, I need to contribute something to it. I need to add something to it. Jesus, yeah, you did this for me, but now I need to pick up everything that's left of my shattered life. And what this passage and what Paul and what Jesus says to us is I'm not looking for you to be a better Christian. I'm looking for you to trust in me. I'm looking for you to look more like me. I'm looking for you to simply like a child does to their parents, just mimic what I do. He's saying, look to me. He's not saying your moral works will transform you. He's saying the Spirit of God will transform you. And that only comes when we put our trust in Jesus. And you know what I hate that happens? Is that as soon as we start looking at our moral works and we just start thinking, I've, I've got to be a better Christian. I can't tell you the amount of times that then for myself that happens that I just lose my assurance and, 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 and uh, confidence in Christ. Why? Because as Christians, when we think I just got to be a better Christian, 
Because we think it's up to our works, we start judging on how well we're doing based off of what we are doing or how well we're being transformed. And Paul is just saying, you're going to be transformed one degree. One degree. And yet, what we do is we say, well, that's not good enough, God. I'm ungrateful with the transformation and renewal that you've brought. I need more. And we start to create a checklist of do's and don'ts so that way we can get that quicker. You know what's terrible? Is that both of these views lead to condemnation. For the non-believer, it leads to God's wrath and condemnation. For the believer, it leads to self-inflicted condemnation that I'm just not good enough. I understand Jesus has done this, but I just really must not be good enough for him. I'm not far enough along. And that's the whole point of the gospel. You aren't good enough. There's nothing that you could do to be good enough. And yet, God has looked at you and loved you before you first loved him. And this is, this is exactly what Jesus is saying. You can't do enough. This is why I've come to dwell with you, is because you can't do enough. But I can and I have. And when you trust in me, I will transform you. I will make you righteous before our heavenly Father. I will make you just as if you had never done that. Through your trust in me, you will be forgiven as far as the east is from the west. Your sins will be thrown into the sea of forgetfulness. Jesus comes to purchase a people for himself. And when he does that, he doesn't just kind of morally renew you. He completely transforms you, as Paul will say in a couple of chapters, into a new creation. You're a, a brand new creation. And what just is so frustrating is that at times, we just don't think that we're a new creation. Because we're so worried about our own morality and good works, we don't possibly look at it that Jesus has transformed us into a new creation to reflect his image. What we do is we say, well, I'm still that old person. No, Jesus has come to transform you entirely. It's a holistic transformation. And then he comes to continue to transform you. Why? Because you're citizens of his kingdom and you, you've been given his spirit. Think about it like this with me. When a child is born, do you put tennis shoes on them right away and expect them to start running a marathon? Look, I've, I've had three sons, or two sons. I don't know if we're having a third one. So that's not me saying I know what we're, we're having, okay? I didn't slip up here. I don't know. The Lord knows. I have never put a basketball jersey on an infant and expected, hey, go out and play like a professional would. We don't do that when children are learning how to walk, right? Like, I'm not, I'm not, come on, Haddon, 
Let's go. You took one step, that's it. You should be taking 500 steps in a row. This is what it means to be born again, to be transformed into a new creature. You are completely and utterly a new creature. Sanctification is not, you don't put sanctification in the microwave and expect it to be done in two minutes with a hot, hungry man. Sanctification is a slow cooker. Let's not look at sanctification as this, I've got to be this far. Let's look at it as a slow cooker, one degree at a time. If this isn't the Jesus you know, or the Jesus that you've experienced, then you, then you probably don't know the real Jesus. Maybe it's time to get to know the real Jesus. If you've just expected, well, because I've got a relationship with Jesus, that's it. And I don't have to worry about anything else. I don't have to to worry about working out my salvation or being changed one degree to another, then you don't know the real Jesus. And quite possibly, if you're jumping down your own throat just saying, be a better Christian, do better, do better, then you probably don't know the real Jesus. Because the Jesus that I know in the scriptures says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. So let's not confuse the two, justification and sanctification, and let's not just say, well, we're a church about justification and not sanctification. And let's not also be a church that says, well, we're just about sanctification and not justification. The gospel has both. It's a both and. And So let me apply this to us before we leave. I've got four different ways that I think we can apply this passage. The first is do you realize, like think about this, really think about this please. Do you realize that you have total access to God? Because the Spirit of God indwells in you, you have total access to God. It's not, you don't have to go up on a mountain like Moses did to meet with him. You have at this moment, right here, right now, in your seat, total access to God if you are born again. If the Spirit indwells in you, you have access to God. So what's keeping you from going to him? Second, stop giving up. Keep on fighting the good fight. And remember that from one degree of glory to the next, God is changing you.
Fight against your sin. Paul tells us that we are able to, by the power of the Spirit, put to death the deeds of the flesh. Quit giving in to your flesh so quickly. Stick it out a little bit longer. That person cuts you off, instead of cussing them out, start to pray for them. That person passes you and you're tempted to lust, start praying that you would see them how your Heavenly Father sees them. You're tempted to slander or gossip against another person, diminishing their name, so that way you can build up your own. Just stop the conversation and leave. Keep on fighting the good fight. God will give you a way of escape. So stop giving in so easily. Third, and this is going to be maybe the scariest one for some of you, find people that you can confess to and find people that you can pray for. Look, I understand that right here this can be scary because of your past hurts of people opening up dirty laundry to other people that you didn't want to know. You know, like 50 years ago when Esther told Verl that you had a crush on him and now you've never trusted anybody since. John, the beloved disciple, tells us in 1 John that when we confess our sins, there is a healing process for our souls on. And, And a lot of you need your souls cleansed and healed. And the simple reality is is that you can find this by finding somebody to confess to. Now, I'm not talking about like building in your backyard a box so that one person can sit in one box and another person can sit in another box so that way you can confess sins back to one another. I'm not talking about some sort of confessional. I'm talking about text somebody today. Text a group of people. Find two or three people that you can text and say, hey, this happened. I need to confess this. Fourth, as we look more like Christ, it will create in us a desire to love others. As we are changed from one degree of glory to to the next, this will cultivate in our hearts a desire to love our neighbor, a desire to be concerned about the social issues of our area. To think of people who are lonely or lost or who are hurting and this desire then to sit with them, pray for them, Listen to them. As we are changed and transformed more into the image and likeness of Christ, don't you think our lives will look more like Christ's? Of course it will. All right. That's all I got. 
I'm going to pray for us. And then we'll sing another song. Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending your son Jesus to die for our sins. We thank you for sending the Spirit of God to dwell in us, to see the glory of Christ, and to change us from one degree of glory to the next. Father, I can't wait to see what you're going to do in the lives and hearts of those who are here this morning. I can't wait to see the good work you're going to continue to carry out in your children and how you'll bring it to completion. And so we praise your name. Amen.